Alrighty. When do you draw the line between walking the second mile and walking the 100th mile? So, from a perspective, like from an idealistic perspective, um, there is no line. Jesus commands us to, to forgive 70 times 7. So from an idealistic perspective, uh, I can walk the second mile with somebody one, two, three, four, five, a hundred times and do it all over again. From an idealistic perspective. Now why do I keep saying that? Because the reality is, is that I'm not Jesus. The reality is, is that I get angry, I get bitter, I get resentful, right? What is resentment? Resentment is resentiment. That's what it is. It's to feel a feeling over and over again. Every time I think of this, I feel the way I felt at that time. That means that I have unresolved emotional business. So every time I remember an event, I feel the feeling that's over there. I haven't let go of the feeling that was there. I haven't let go of how angry my boss made me when he gave credit to so to whoever. So every time that project, which is long done and finished, gets mentioned, I remember how I felt. Resentment, resentment over and over and over again leads to bitterness. So the, the general progression is anger, resentment, bitterness, right? Bitterness then leads to cynicism, where you just lose faith in the world, you know, or lose in, you know, in a variety of different things. We all do this stuff. You're not a bad person if you feel that you're cynical or that you've, you know, or, or that you're, you know, you're not, you're not a bad person, but it all starts off, it starts off by letting go of the emotional hurt that was way back there and forgiving, right? Now, the reality is, the reality is, is that you and me aren't made of steel, Right? And we can only tolerate so much before we kind of can't handle it anymore. Right? So, in those times, we need to kind of rein it in and take a break and pray and find some help and find somebody we can vent to and we can share and so on to let some of this stuff off of, off of our chest. We have to recognize our boundaries and try to live within them. While, all the while wishing, wishing that I could live the gospel in, in its entirety, right? And asking God for strength to do so because of ourselves, we can do nothing, right? What if you want to do the extra mile at work and it contradicts with your home or your partner's needs? I agree that you, that you have to take all of these things into, uh, you have to take all of these things into consideration because we're whole creatures. We're not fragmented. People say, oh, my work life, my home life, my social life. You know what I mean? I don't have nine lives. I'm not a cat. I only have one life. And all of these things have to be integrated. I'm an integrated human being, right? But my partner, if they're Christian, they should be able to understand that God has called me to live, God has called me to live and to do the extra, the extra mile. Right now, that said, that said, I need to do that. This, this what I'm saying at work also applies at home, right? What I was saying before, like the commandment the church has given to me, hasten to do everything that pleases her heart. That means that if Mary had to ask for a cup of tea in the morning, I failed, right? I'm supposed to have the cup of tea at her bedside, 
before she even asks for it. Because I'm supposed to, hasten means hurry up. I'm supposed to hurry up and do what she wants. That's the second mile. The church is operationalizing it for us. It's telling us how to, how to do it, how to live out the commandment at home. So if I live the commandment at home, my partner will see that, that also, my, my wife or husband will see that I can also live the commandment at work as well. You can interrupt me, eh? Like, put up your hand and say, uh, Abuna, God bless you, but like, no way. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. <laughs> I don't know what planet you live on, and <laughs> right? Where uh, it's all roses and daisies, but, you know, Fadi Habibi. So, uh, Abuna, you're talking a bit general about this question, uh, but actually what happened is, if your work requires lots of travel and your partner is asking to be with her or whatever, and you need to do this for your extra mile, what's the action that you need to take if she's telling you don't don't go there, don't make all those travels, so we need an answer about this. If she's telling you, then you gotta listen. If he's telling you... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we have to, uh, like I said, I'm an integrated person, right? I'm an integrated person. So my, my work life is going to affect my home life, is going to affect everything. Everything is connected. It's not, they're, they're not compartmentalized as much as we would maybe sometimes hope or it would be easier if they were, right? So I have to realize that I'm called to walk the, the, the second mile as much as I am at, at home as much at home as I am. Some people talk about priorities, that your like, relationship with God comes first, your marriage second, your family third, you know, your, your, and then your, you know, your service or your work or, or whatever order. And you, know, you have to have like a hierarchy of priorities. Some people like to think about things that way. It's not my preference. I don't prefer that, that kind of very you know, prioritized way, because again, I feel that it's very compartmentalized, you know, and then, no, this has to take precedence over that. But some people, that's how they think, like, and that it works well for them, and I'm not criticizing that. You know yourself, you know your family, do what works well for you, right? But at the end of the day, we have to realize that I'm called to live the gospel in its entirety, everywhere I go, at home, in my marriage, with my children, in my church, in my work, and so on. But it's the same God who's commanding me at the same time. And He knows that I can only be awake and functional for 16 or 17 hours a day. You know, of which I need to eat, I need to shower, I need to, you know, and then I need to be, you know, uh, a husband, a dad, and I need some time alone with God. God knows these things. I remember I went to my spiritual father once, I was sitting for spiritual guidance with him, and I kept falling asleep told me, it was a long time ago, I was maybe 17, 18, told me, uh, John, you're like, uh, you're, very, you're very tired, I think, more than spiritual advice, I think you just need to go home and sleep. I said, uh, sorry, Abuna, I'm just, uh, I only got like a couple of hours sleep last night, Shadif, yeah, I had a midterm, and there was a youth, had a problem, this and that, and so on. kind of smiled, and he said to me, do you think that God knows there are 24 hours in a day? And I was like, Mm, yeah, I, I think so. He said, do you think God knows that you need to sleep maybe seven or eight of those hours so you can function properly? I said, y yeah, I think so. He goes, hmm, I think so too. So then God must only want you to be doing about 17, you know, 
16, 17 hours worth of stuff in a day. I said, yeah, that's probably true. So he said, then at, at best, you're doing everything God wants you to do, and then some. And other stuff God doesn't care for you to do. And that's why you can't fit it all in 16, 17 hours in a day. And I said, yeah, I, I suppose. He goes, and at worst, you're not doing what God wants you to do, and you're replacing it with other stuff you want to do. I said, I suppose. He goes, hmm, okay, it's good we're on the same page. <laughs> and that was the end of that. That was the end of spiritual guidance for that day. So I think, like, we have to see ourselves, you know, like, like that my life is a pie, and, and I just have to share, I just have to share that time. And sometimes that's, if you have a partner who loves God and is spiritual, you can have these conversations together, you know, to try to discern the will of God for you. And sometimes you have to say no to work, and sometimes you have to say no to things at home. I absolutely hate being away from my family. I absolutely hate it. But I travel a lot. I guest speak a lot. Mary is the one who convinces me that I should go. I'm usually, I don't want to go, right? And she tells me, no, tab malish, tab, at least tab, go for the day. Don't go for the whole three days. Go for, just go for the day, and so on, right? Because, because we discuss these things, and she's, con she's convinced that this is what God wants me to do. And if all else fails, take my father-in-law's advice. <laughs> what are some general advice you have to deal with the new, very liberal-minded colleagues or managers? Love them. Love them. And do your work for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You don't have to be as in-your-face and overt about your Christianity as I was, posting verses in my cubicle, in my office, and this and that. That's for some people. It's not for everyone, you know. I would do that to, I would do that to push people to ask me questions, you know. I, would, like, I, was, like, I was poking the bear, you know, because I wanted to get people to ask me a question so then I could talk about my faith and I could share about my faith. Well, that's my character, you know. Um, but that may not be yours. I'm not telling you that, you that you have to do that. But no one, no matter how liberal or how people are, one of my, my junior fellow, like the, the person who d reports directly to me, there was, there was two of them. They report directly to me. One of them was gay. Great guy, right? And, uh, and he, was, he had one million prejudices about me. Um, and over the span of a year, I think he found that most of his prejudices were inaccurate. And I learned a lot. I learned so much about how hard his experience of, of, being, um, of being gay was. Right? And we became actually, of all the people that worked with me, he ended up being the person I was closest to. No hands. Yes. Like, for lunch with him, for example, like with other people. Would that be like, I'm not saying excluding him, but 
at the same time, like we, the Bible tells us something about not being so close or not close, but even being friends or, or like having like co-workers or close co-workers to say, you know, who are, who are like homosexuals. Mm. So what do you think about that? So um, just for you to know, as we, whenever we like broach this topic of homosexuality and LGBTQ and same-sex attraction and so on, the rate of same-sex attraction in the Coptic Orthodox Church is estimated around at at least 5%. Some estimates say 10%. So I assume in every audience that I'm speaking to, forgive me, whether you think this is appropriate or inappropriate, but I think it's, if we're going to discuss this, this is the only way I think it's appropriate, to assume that there are at least, how many are we in the room now, or 40 people, right? That there's, you know, at least, somebody do the math for me, two people who are struggling with their sexual orientation or same-sex attraction and so on. Sometimes we think, oh, the people out there, right? That's, and it's extremely, extremely hurtful. Um, it's extremely, extremely hurtful uh, for, for um, someone who's, who, who has same-sex attraction, is struggling with it, struggling with their orientation, whatever. Anyhow, so that said, if you permit me that, that pre preamble. There's like a spectrum between like distant acquaintance to soulmate, right? It's a spectrum. It's like, it's not like, you know, it's not like stations, you know, right? And... We all kind of, like, what I, what I learned growing up, like, I learned this even before marriage, is to kind of place people on that spectrum, find somebody else on that spectrum that is, that I'm comfortable with where that person is on the spectrum, and benchmark my behavior with, with this person to that person who's already existing on the spectrum. So, like, this is the common advice I give to, like, I have a very young church, they get into relationships, they have breakups, all this stuff, right? Then sometimes they decide they want to be friends afterwards. Okay, so I'm just using this as an example, okay? But it, it can apply, this can apply to any relationship, platonic or romantic, whatever, right? Obviously not your spouse. Your spouse is well-defined where they belong on the spectrum, right? You know, right there at the very end, all right? <laughs> just in case Mary can hear me. <laughs> Right? Right? So what I tell them is, find somebody else. Where do you think, you know, where do you think a friend is on that spectrum? Okay. Sometimes they draw a line for them, you know, and I, they say, okay, here. Right? I say, okay, who else is there? You know, uh, Abram is there. Okay. Benchmark your behavior with this person to Abram. I'm going to treat this person the way I treat Abram. So that's a way of making it very simple and concrete how close or how far I... I think it's appropriate for me to be with somebody. Now, that's how, that's how I go about it. But you're asking the question of what, what is okay or what is right, okay? I think that depends very, very much on your context, you know? I serve a small population of, they happen to all be men, but if there were, if there were women who are lesbians, then that would be fine, who are gay, right? They, they, they come over, they have dinner at my place, we're friends. We're friends. Above all else, we're friends. Right? What you do in your, in your private quarters does not prevent me, does not tell me that I need to judge you or that I need to hate you or that I need to put you away or that I need to... That's, that's not... Right? So, 
I've had this conversation with some people in my congregation, and some of them weren't comfortable with that. And I told them, well, if any church in the GTA is going to be, you know, is going to be LGBTQ friendly, not affirming, but friendly, accepting, loving, it's going to be ours, right? And some people just didn't come back, right? They happily go to other churches. I check on them, you know, a couple of times a year, make sure that they are, you know, actually attending the church they say they're attending because I have sort of friends everywhere. And so I check on them for their well-being. I'm not like big brother snooping on them. I want to make sure that I wasn't a, a stumbling block. They said, okay, I'm not going to attend your church anymore. I'm going to go to this church. Now they go nowhere. Then that would be, it would have been a faux pas on my part. No, they're happily attending somewhere else. Thank God. They're not comfortable with that. They're not comfortable raising their children in that kind of context. They're not, whatever. I'm not judging, I'm not judging the people who chose to leave but that's the stance that we're taking that's the stance that the Pope approved for us to take and that's what we're working with you know but I'm not saying that every other church has to do that I'm just saying this is what we're doing right I don't I, my, my approach is I don't judge anybody either for how welcoming they are or how unwelcoming they are right but I have to kind of come to a, a place that I'm comfortable with Yes. I second you in what what you just said. Now, it's, it's sometimes it's uh, on personal level it's hard when we deal with some someone who's uh, gay or lesbian because the natures are different. Our nature is different than their nature. But I do believe that again, I second you. I do believe that we are there for a reason. God put us in this situation because we are the light of the world, not us, but Jesus inside us. And if we shy and if we hide from these people, they would, they wouldn't know the right. They wouldn't know the truth. And I think we need to just overcome all the um, the scariness that we're gonna be convicted of showing up with these people. We're not, uh, we're not following them. We're not changing behavior, our behavior to their behavior. But we're there for a mission. Maybe through uh, our relationship with them. Uh, the friendly relationship that we simply love them for not convicting, they know they know the truth through us, and I, I think this is we we all need to learn something like this. We all need to learn to stand up for for the truth and for Jesus, so He can enter others' lives. Yeah, I, com I, co I, I completely agree with almost everything you said. The bit about nature, like our nature is different than theirs. Like there's a lot of conversation about that. Is it nature? Is it nurture? What, like, you know, whatever. Like are we, are, are we born that way? Are we, I, have a, I, have a, I have answers. I have answers for all this kind of stuff, right? Um, I have like not politically correct answers. Answers that give comfort and peace to your soul and to the person you're speaking to. But the short of the long is the party line, the party line is unconditional love and acceptance. Like that's basically, the, that's basically, this is not my party line, this is the party line of the Coptic Orthodox Church, right? The party line of the Coptic Orthodox Church is unconditional love and acceptance. Now how you live that out, you know, to what, to what, you know, degree you're able to live that out is kind of like the how many times am I going to walk the second mile, you know, at work, right? You're gonna you're gonna try to live live that out to the best of to the best of your ability, and I agree with you that if the church doesn't, I was having this great conversation with this guy who used to be who's gay, this older man who's gay who used to be Christian. Now he's not Christian. He says he's atheist, but he's more agnostic than anything else. And he says to me, "Look, 
There's all you church people, right? Some of you are, you know, gay. Some of you are not. Some of you are gay friendly. Some of you are not. And you're all fighting with each other about who's going to go into the kingdom. You're not going to go to the kingdom. I'm going to go to the kingdom. He goes, and you're all like, and he goes, and I'm kind of looking in at you. And you're all fighting with each other. And every time you guys notice me looking in, you say, hey, come on in here. It's great in here. And I'm kind of looking at you and thinking to myself, like, are you crazy? Right? None of you even get along. Most of you want to condemn the rest of you to hell forever. Why would I want to be around you? You know, right? So as long as we have this attitude of like, you're good and you're bad and you're going to heaven and you're going to hell and, right? There's no way we can be the light of the world. Like, it's, it's just madness. Why would anybody want to, why would anybody want to be, whether they're gay or they're straight, why would anybody want to be one of us, right? Like, looking from the outsider's perspective, we look like a bunch of people who are crazy, Right? Anyways, it's an uphill battle for now. It's an uphill battle for now. Sorry, let me finish that phrase. To, to, to change, to change the, the culture of the church. Fortunately, we, the leadership has given us a directive, unconditional love and acceptance. But for the, for the culture to change amongst us, God help us. What are some general advice you have to deal with the new... Oh, wait, that was the question. When's it time to quit? It's time to quit when it's time to quit. Um, I think at the end of the day, I work for the Lord Jesus Christ. So when He shows me a different path that I'm supposed to be on, then that, that's when it's time to quit. I, I rarely have ever thought that it was a good idea to quit when you don't know where else to go, unless, you know, it's an abusive environment, unless it's, you know... Unless you're being harmed. If you're being harmed in that environment, then, then it's the same thing with like domestic violence. You know what I mean? Like we don't tell somebody who's subject to domestic violence, no, you can't leave until you know, you know a safe place you can go to. And we tell them, leave, call for help, we'll find you somewhere to go. But just get yourself out of there, right? So that's the, that would be the exception. How about if, if your job requires you to break a commandment? Like cheating, or because we see it, we see it a lot that some people are required to function and to be in their position to do certain stuff that's breaking the commandment and against their values. And this is the only way I can be kept in that position. The people that come to me in 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 spiritual guidance and confession constantly tell me, Abuna, if I don't lie repeatedly all day every day, I will lose my job. My job is to go and to tell the client that they're going to get certain things that they're not going to get. <laughs> right? And I tell my boss, like, but we're not actually planning on doing that. He says, oh, hell no. <laughs> right? So I'm lying, I'm lying to our client to get him to sign whatever. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> right? I think in those instances, in those instances, that's what's worth standing up for. It's my humble opinion. Ask for guidance from your spiritual father. Pray a lot. Pray with your partner. Pray with your spouse. You know, um, I think that's what's worth standing up for. More than being defamed. You're lazy, you're negligent, you're not hardworking. 
that's like, how can that be quantified, you know? It's very tough, Abuna, it's very tough. But, I mean, the gospel is the gospel, right? And at the end of the day, Jesus told us, like we're going to talk about this in the next session, He told us, like, if they hated me, they will hate you. Like, we should expect it. Anyways, we'll talk about it in, in the next session. In some workplaces, you feel that you may get in trouble for talking about God. What do we do in this case? No one, no, no one can get you in trouble for answering a question if you answer it, answer it succinctly, polite, politely, and respectfully. So that's why I would hang these posters up. This is free in my office. My office had a door and had blinds, right? So no one is forced to look at the stuff in my office, right? But people would repeatedly then ask me questions. When they asked me a question, I would answer them. But I'm, I'm a talker, so I would practice my responses in the mirror because I want to keep it to three sentences, right? Because I don't want the person to say, I went, I, I went into John's office and he talked my ear off about God and about this and about that. He'd ask me a question, I'd give him an answer. Clear, respectful, polite, simple, straightforward, succinct. The best thing you can do for spreading the gospel is to get your sound bite. Why are you Christian? Why are you here? Sit down, write it in a hundred words or less. You can, you can say a hundred words clearly and slowly in under 45 seconds. You know, as a salesperson, you usually have your sound bite, it's like at the tip of your tongue, right? You can just pop it out in a second, right? My my reason for why I'm a disciple for Jesus, why I'm willing to die for Jesus, I should have that, the same thing. 45 seconds. 100 words. I find it hard to link work to God. From day to day, tasks, perspective, and uh, from looking at the actions from God's view, how to do it. I really, really try very hard to look at if I have a very task day, like a day where I just have tasks I got to get done, right? To look at it as God is the one who's asking me to do these tasks. Abuna, that sounds really nice and all, but like, like, how is that rational in any way, shape, or form? Like, God's not asking me to do these tasks. My, my boss, who is liberal and doesn't make any sense and changes his mind every 43 seconds, is the one who's asking me to do these tasks, not, not God. How? I just tell myself, why am I here? How did I get this job? God put me here. How did I, but like, how did he put me here? Well, he gave me the qualifications for it, right? How did he give me the qualifications for it? Well, I went to school and I studied. How did I get into school? And I can clearly, clearly tell you that God is the one, he himself is the one who put me in the places that he put me, right? I didn't make it there myself. When I give glory to God in all of those steps, Along the way, it becomes easier to feel that God is the one who put me there. What if we're obliged to do some unethical approach? Yeah, we kind of talked about that. A friend of mine is a sales guy. Um, and um, he didn't, has not been uh, walking with God for a long time. He's been, you know, born, in, born into a Christian family, but was lost from God for a very long time. So he was telling me, that the only way that people in his industry sell is, you know, like there's really no difference between him and his competitors, except the, the salesperson who is who you have a relationship with. So it's all about the relationship. So you build those relationships by taking your client out, which usually involves a lot of alcohol, 
and may involve all kinds of other illegal activity. Right? And so, knowing where to procure these illegal substances and illegal people, you know, is helpful, um, and so on. And he was telling me, like, I don't know, like, I just feel like I can't do my job anymore, you know? Um, and so we had a long conversation. We had a long conversation about what are the, what are the possible ways that he could carry on doing his job. Uh, and what we realized is that the culture that he's in and the conditioning he has, he, he probably will not realistically be able to do his job in any different way. Right? Because for years, for like 15 years, this is what he's been doing, you know? So he doesn't know any other way, right? So he's looking for other work. Keep going. How are we doing for time? My spouse, Ababa. <laughs> My spouse takes everything at work very personally and keeps thinking about it over and over. Well, um, there's a reason for that. There's a, there's a reason for that. There's, there's, some, there's some hurt, there's some disappointment, there's, some, there's something, there's some lack that's there, right? So, on a bright blue sky day when everything is good and you're all happy and everything, it's good to discuss these things, it's good to bring these things up, you know, and it's good to, good to begin the discussion. What is, it, what is it exactly about my work? that is really an annoying or painful for you? How much time you spend there? This, that. What is it about how much time I spend there? I know we'd like to spend more time together, but we're never going to spend enough time together. The question why, or what it does is, it's good to have these conversations which are, forgive me, purposeless. Like, they're not purposeless, but you're not trying to make a decision. You're not trying to... You're just trying to discover why the other person is the way they are. Once upon a time, you, you and I were madly in love with our spouse. And there's nothing that you enjoyed researching more than this person. As time has gone, like life and the commitments of life have taken us, and now like... You know what I mean? Now we just get things done together, right? We need to go back to that discovering the other person. What's in their head? What makes them tick the way they tick? You know what I mean? And falling in love, falling in love with those things that we have not yet discovered about our spouse again. If my boss is a micromanager, so he doesn't allow me to really do my job in any efficient way, shall I respond or shall I just let it go? Well, I tell you the truth, when you're dealing with when you're dealing with character like there's there's kind of like three different levels of things and they're like from like like outside to inside on the outside we see actions if those actions come from a a behavior like a behavior pattern right then that's like one level deeper and if that comes from like a something in somebody's character that's something that's even deeper. Most micromanagers are perfectionists and almost all perfection comes from a certain degree of low self-esteem. So I want to tell you something. It's not by saying one offhand comment, right, that you're going to fix his, low or his or her low self-esteem, right? This is who this person is. 
you know, if, it's, if this is something arising from their character. If it's an action, right, then, you know, it's, it's easy enough to say, look, I think things would work more efficiently if da-da-da-da-da-da, right? If this is a behavior pattern that they have, but it's not affecting their character, then maybe, maybe with some intervention you can change it. If it has to do with their character, then all you can really do is love them, right? And if, if they are, if it's intolerable for you, then maybe it's time to look for, to look for something else. Does that make sense? Actions, behavior, character. I can hardly change my own behavior, let alone my character. Now I'm going to change my boss's character? Good luck, right? What do you think about the Coptic community's mentor network support? I think it's a great idea. What are your thoughts on that? Are there any projects? There's a CPNA. I don't know if you guys did the Buna, did they say, yeah? Uh, Coptic professionals network. I mean, they, they're more into like buying power, like collective buying power insurance and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I think it's a great project. We try to do that a lot for our students and for our young professionals. Um, I mean, it's everything's about networking now. Everything is about who you know. You know, we thought that we, like, that, that we left that in Egypt. It's not. It's here too, right? The middle class was the middle class is sheltered from most of the ills of the upper class and the lower class. In societies that have a very narrow middle class, those ills are very are very obvious, right? As the middle class gets narrower, as these things become more obvious, it's all about who you know, right? Money can do anything. These are things that we, who are relatively middle class, we don't necessarily feel that or deal with it, you know? But the upper class and the lower class, they feel it, because the lower class is doing, it, doing all the stuff for the upper class, so they're subject to this to these in these injustices all the time but the reality is we might as well live like we'd have to live with it so developing that network would be a great idea what to do about it uh, don't ask me when someone at work speaks down to me and I do not respond I feel uh, that they may walk over me should I let them uh, should I let them to be a good Christian um, I didn't mention something I mentioned I didn't mention that there you know for your for your own integrity, for your own integrity, you have to decide what boundaries are acceptable for you. I remember getting yelled at by a surgeon once, and I just got up and left. I was like in my first year of training. Like she was the most senior person in the department, I was the most junior person in the department. I just got up and left, right? And then she, she confronted me later in front of a bunch of people and said, why did you leave? And I remember telling her, you know, you know, forgive me, Dr. So-and-so. No one has ever talked to me like that in my life. I don't know. I just didn't know what, what to do. Like, I didn't know how to respond. I didn't know. So I went quiet. And then I realized, like, I'm no longer useful here. So I left. And she was just kind of, she just kind of stood quietly. And then I, I said, I think maybe, like, we could work, it would work, things would work better like if we, you know, did this and this and that. I was like the most junior person in the department. But I figured like, I have to work with this woman. Let me tell her what I consider to be acceptable. In my, that was at the beginning of my work life. At the end of my work life, like in the world, I had a similar, I have a similar conversation with our chief of department twice, right? Of telling him, look, 
I will not accept that you speak to me that way. In private, in public, I, I will not accept it. You're welcome to speak about me that way, but you'll just do it in my absence. Because I, 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 I can't accept that. It's not healthy for me. You know? It's just not healthy for me. I, I'm not going to stand for it. You know, it's just outright bullying, right? So, I'm not saying subject yourself to abuse. That's not what I'm saying at all. At all. If that was the message that came across, I'm so sorry for that. No, that's not what I'm saying. You have to make clear boundaries of what you deem acceptable and what you deem unacceptable, right? But some personal attacks are not worth <coughs> making a fuss over. You just, you just look defensive. You just look like you're, you know, it's just not worth it. You do yourself a disservice. What's this and what's that? Ask God to give you guidance. <laughs> Glory be to God forever and ever, man. <laughs>